I just want to welcome everybody watching online, everybody listening on podcast. We love you. You are a Fathom fam too. I want to welcome every guest in the house today uh, that you're here, maybe for the first time, second time, been checking us out. And we hope that you find this a place to grow in your faith, to grow in your family, and that uh, you're not called to do life alone. And uh, and maybe you're here today and you've kind of been running the race by yourself. You haven't been involved in a group. You haven't, uh, been, you know, have someone to, to, to have that connection and really uh, spend time with. So I would encourage you to jump on to uh, fathomchurchjacks.com slash anchor groups and connect with our online group. That is uh, beginning uh, right here in a couple of weeks on April 16th. On Tuesday night, we're launching an online group, and that's just going to be a great time for you to be able to connect online. But we need you to register so we can make sure you've got the things necessary. It's not going to be a public thing. It's going to be a private group, so we want to make sure you're connected and ready for that. So if you're in uh, another, I, I got a message from somebody the other day. They're in Japan watching and uh, can't wait to be back home and be a part of uh, and see what God's doing here. So yeah, excited about that. Absolutely. So whatever, wherever you're at in town and just maybe need to connect with people, no disciple walks alone. So, so find you a place to connect and do life with folks. And uh, you can find that on our email or uh, we'll get you connected to that somehow. I, it's probably out there somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but I'm so looking forward to today. At the end of our service today, we are going to be appreciating our staff, our support and ministry staff. And I can't wait to do that. They are worthy of honor. And so we are going to honor them later on today. Uh, but I got a word, man, that's just been burning my heart all week that's just, that's deeply personal, and, uh, and I think it, it's really personal for all of us. So we're going to start a new series today called Goliath Must Fall. When you hear Goliath, there's only one person you think about is that big giant who had gigantism. Many scientists believe that he had a pituitary gland that made him, you know, get a lot taller and his, you know, phalanges and his hands and feet got a lot bigger, and, uh, and he became this giant, and he was a whole family of, of giants, and, and you obviously with David, you, you, you know, Goli- uh, with Goliath, you know there's David. Let, let me tell you a little bit about where Goliath came from. We won't spend a ton of time on him throughout this series, but, but he came from the Philistine army. You might have heard of that. Even Philistines get used as like a, a brute type, you'd kind of call them. They're just like a Philistine or something. They were really a people group that only survived for maybe a few hundred years, three or four hundred years, and kind of became extinct. And most of the record we have of this people group is from the, the biblical text. And there's a few other sources, but they were kind of extinct, so to speak, uh, uh, by maybe the 8th century B.C., and uh, they, they went around doing what everybody did at that time, is when you wanted land, you took land. Like, I think now in our civilized 21st century, if we think about someone taking over land, I'm like, oh my gosh, who would do that? Back then, everybody, that was who, everybody would do that. That's how they owned land, and they went, and they, they stole, and, and took it over. And, and God's people, Israel, if you remember back in, in this great big story, uh, God didn't want them to have a king. He, again, as we were just talking about in worship, that that, you know, he wanted to be their God. He wanted them to have a theocracy where God is at the top of it. But they really looked around to all these neighboring kingdoms and they had a king and they, they were stately looking and they had, you know, palaces and horses and chariots and all this stuff. And they're like, we like that. We want to keep up with the Joneses. And so they said, give us a king, give us a king. And, and so God was like, no, you're a theocracy. But eventually God said, okay, you want a king? You got a king. And so they picked out the guy who kind of looked apart. His name was Saul, and he became the king of Israel. And I'd love to do just a whole, you know, uh, big story and big series on the life of David. I'm actually doing that with a small group of men right now, going through 1 and 2 Samuel. But my heart for this series is that we just lean in, and we look at just a glimpse, just a sliver of David's story. 
Because here's, here's what I realize is that we've all got a Goliath. Uh, we've all got a giant in our life, whether that giant is uh, a mountain of debt that you can't seem to overcome uh, for the life of you, whether it's a brokenness in your marriage or you're going through a messy divorce or, or you've got an addiction that you're trying to overcome. I think we've all got an external giant that we're facing or maybe a negative coworker that just is like a thorn in your flesh. I, I, I don't know what the giant you're, that's before you, but what I want to talk about over the next few weeks is the giants that David slayed inside of himself so that he could slay the giant before him. And I believe that God wants to just resonate a few just kind of just glimpses into David's life here as we look at first today, the giant of criticism, the giant of criticism. We've all been there. We've all felt criticism where we were judged, and we're going to talk a lot more about this. And I want to give you a little background on David. David was a shepherd, as many of you will know, in this where we're jumping into the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He was living as a shepherd. He would eventually go on to be the king of Israel, the second king of, of Israel, uh, established king of, of Israel. But at this time, he was, a, he was a shepherd, which was a lowly profession. For those of you that were here a couple months ago, and I kind of did a whole kind of uh, whole evolution of how societies view shepherds throughout the years. At this time, at this glimpse, that they're kind of a lesser occupation in life because they'd spend time out in the fields. They, they lived a pretty lonely life. If you ever feel like that or you feel like you work a lowly job, you can identify with where David was in his life. And uh, what that looked like, most of the time he was leading his sheep around to green pastures. You remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He leads me beside quiet waters and, and along to green pastures. You ever been in the Middle East? You ever seen pictures of the Middle East? There's not a lot of green pastures around. Like green pastures, like these little patches of grass. And so a lot of times we want green pastures, but it's just the, it's just the, the patch of grass that he leads us to just to get us to the next thing. So that's what David did. He spent his life, he spent his days at this, in this season just leading his sheep from desert field to desert field with a little bit of patches of grass and feeding them. Not only that, but he really developed uh, an ability to protect his sheep, right? He, he learned to fight off lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, right? He was doing this stuff when no one was watching out there by himself, and he developed a lot of character in this season. And so when it came time to fight the giant before him, he was prepared. And so I want to I want to talk about that a little bit. We're going to begin reading today in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's where we get the story of David and Goliath. And we're not going to take it all the way through. We're actually going to stay in this chapter for the next three weeks. And so if you want to start reading around that, that's a great place to study. Maybe, maybe start just a few chapters early and just kind of catch you up and then keep reading beyond that. It's a great place to study to, to stay with what I think God's speaking through this time. So let's begin with verse 25, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Israelites had been saying... Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. You hear that? Money, women, and free of taxes. Somebody's like, sign me up. You know, in the room, like, sign me up. 
And, uh, but you'll go, you'll look on here, and, and that's not what, what moved David to really jump into action. David asked the men who are uh, standing near him, what will be done? He's like, what did I just hear? Did you say something about, about a woman? Did you say something about free taxes? You know, um, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? That's what moved David to action. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what had been saying uh, and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, and here's, the, here's the, the verse I want us to lean into today. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. David says, now what, did I, what, have, what have I done, said David? Like, can I even speak? You ever feel like a little brother? Like, that goes on in the back seat of my car. Can I even speak? You know? Uh, he then turned away to someone else, and he brought up the, matter, the same matter, and the men answered him as before. Uh, what David said was overheard and responded to uh, Saul and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Uh, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant, will go and fight for him. What a powerful uh, text. We've all, all faced criticism. I, I think criticism probably falls in three categories in our life. We've got personal criticism. You ever had some personal criticism? I, I, I think we could probably put even personal criticism in two different categories. I think we have personal criticism that's our blind spots. Like the criticism is actually true, and it'll usually, this is the one that hurts the most, is is this one. Uh, the personal criticism, it hurts the most because the blind spots we don't see coming. We don't see it coming. Like, I didn't know I was dealing with pride. Like, I didn't know I was dealing with, you, you know, being selfish until someone criticized me for it. And then I'm like, oh, after the dust settled, you know, 10 years later, <laughs> five years later, we're still mad about that criticism. And then we look back and we're like, actually, they were kind of spot on. I was just I couldn't receive it. It was a blind spot, and it usually will make us mad before we can actually receive that. And the other ones are personal attacks. Again, I think these personal ones, they hurt the most, where the blind spot is something we actually need to hear. The personal ones, like there's no place for them, but it's attacking who we are. It's attacking your character, your performance maybe, sometimes anything that's personal. So I think that's the first type of criticism. I think there's also unfounded criticism. If you look on our church Google reviews, you will find some unfounded criticism, like people just throwing hate and throwing mud just for the fun of it, making up names and, and whatever, just uh, haters going to hate, you know what I'm saying? And so it's, but it's unfounded. Have you ever had unfounded criticism? Like there's, there's, no, there's no basis for it. And in our society, this is a big deal, unfounded criticism, and we're a part of it way more than we realize, um, because most of unfounded criticism comes off of gossip. It comes off of hearsay, what someone else said, and so that's usually where it comes from, and Proverbs 18, 13 speaks to that, and I hope we will hear this for our own life. To answer before listening that's folly and shame. That's, that's foolishness. To think you've got it under control, to think you've got it, it if, if, you're, if you really haven't listened, if you haven't heard that firsthand, it's just hearsay, and you can really get yourself in trouble and really kind of provide shame and, and foolishness over your own life. So I would just say don't be a part of that unfounded criticism that, that you don't have firsthand experience with. Just, just stay with it, away from it. And the third is constructive criticism. This is the one where we're like, okay, I can handle some constructive criticism, or at least we 
We think we can. Um, we'll call it helpful feedback. That's just another way to talk about constructive criticism. And, and we need it. We need it. it. It makes a difference in our life. If you look to uh, the, the last school zone you uh, drove through, right? There's one of those, those digital signs. Don't you love those? Because you see those immediately, and nobody in this room have sped and like stepped on the gas more. Like when you go through, like what kind of jerk does that? You know, we, we immediately tap the, gra- the brakes because we get this immediate feedback, you're going too fast. And I wonder just in our, in our lives, do we have any of that immediate feedback? Do, do we have people we can trust to give us that feedback? And, and we struggle with feedback. We struggle with constructive criticism for two reasons. One is because usually we're not in a posture to receive it, like we're defensive. Um, and then usually the person who's giving it does not always do a very good job of being very loving about it. You know, you ever had that? Like, you gave me the feedback, but it didn't feel very loving. Like in a, and maybe we've just grown soft as a society where it's always got to be kind of like the sandwich method of compliment, criticism, compliment. Maybe it's that, but maybe it's our posture on both sides of the thing, Right. And so I want to give you a few things. It comes from Pastor Craig Rochelle, and then we're going to dive back into the text. I think there's just some deep things that God wants to speak, but I kind of want to do things backwards and deal with some of the practical application stuff and give you, give you that for your life. So, so these are worth writing down. And Pastor Craig says this. He says, our unwillingness or an unwillingness to give and receive helpful feedback will ensure our personal and organizational growth is limited. Our, our inability, our, our unwillingness to give and receive feedback, it actually puts a, a lid. And so the boss that in, in your life that you keep trying to say, hey, what do you think about this? Or you're trying to give them some helpful feedback and keep shutting it down, it is a lid on that organization. It's a lid on your business. It, it, it's a lid on your marriage. If you can't, as a, a spouse, say, hey, you know what would help me a little bit more? I know you don't realize this, but when you say this, this will change some marriages. If we can just get into this place and be like, hey, I can actually receive this. This will change our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. If we can posture ourselves to give uh, feedback with love and receive it uh, in, in love as, as well, if we can do this. And so, but maybe it's the lid on, on some of our personal growth too. Maybe some of us were stuck because we don't have these people in our life that are being like, hey, this is a blind spot. And Lord knows we need that. Pastor Craig gives three just really practical things I want to leave you real quick, and we're going to dive back into the text. Three keys to, to receiving uh, you know, helpful feedback. First is don't dread it, crave it. Um, like most of us don't, uh, don't crave it. We endure it. You know, like I'll just endure it like, like, and I'll get through it and I'll put on the brave face and I'll act like I love it and I hate it. But we need it to grow. When we realize and we're humble and we know that like, I've got blind spots that need to be revealed in my life and they will trip me up. What's small will become a big giant in my life at some point if I don't have someone looking out for those blind spots. And so I would just say, you've got to develop some trust with people. Maybe it's one person, maybe there's three, like one for your family life, one for kind of like your spiritual growth as a part of the body of Christ and in your ministry and leadership, and, and maybe there's one in your work environment. Who, who's, some, who's a coworker? Who's someone that's maybe in a different department that can see things that I don't see? That I would actually invite them into my life, not to dread it, but like, hey, would you, if, you, if you see anything, like I'm here and it's posturing ourselves that we don't endure this, like we actually need it and we, we crave it. I, I did this last year with our board of directors, and I said, hey, I want you guys to do a 360 uh, leadership evaluation on me. And so that they, they went through a whole process on that. But I, 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 craved, I wanted that. I'm putting myself in a place, like, see the blind spots. I'm not, 
not seen. Pastor Craig says, separating the do from the who is really important. Like if you're showing up late or an employee's always showing up late in, in your life and, you know, or in your, your business. And it's like being able to say, hey, like you're not the problem, but the problem is that you're 10 minutes late. And a lot of times we take personal offense to things that there's no reason to take personal offense to. It's like, it's actually just the behavior that needs to be corrected, not the heart. Sometimes it's the heart that kind of flow in, into that, and those are inter, intertwined. Uh, so we, we won't dive too much in it. But usually before, like I said before, before we can receive feedback or criticism, you know, we'll get defensive and we'll get, we'll get mad about it. But um, in, in those conversations with those trusted individuals, ask some clarifying questions is really Pastor Craig's encouragement. Like ask, hey, like, can you tell me more about that? Can you give me an example? And, and if you're going to give somebody feedback, be able to give examples. Like not hearsay. No, I've seen this. I've witnessed this. Not so-and-so said. The people are saying, like, who's the people? You know what I mean? Give, give me an example to help us grow from. So, so be willing to dig for that. So that's just some practical stuff. And I don't know if you've had helpful feedback or helpful constructive criticism in your life. Um, but I know across this room, if you don't have it, it is a lid on your life right now. It is a lid on, on your spiritual growth. It is a lid on the, the, the growth of your organization or ministry team uh, right now. And I know who didn't have that is David didn't have that. <laughs> David didn't have that. He did not have very constructive criticism, very helpful feedback from his brother Eliab, who he looked up to. Remember, David is a shepherd at this time. We catch him very early in his, his walk of life, and he's the youngest of eight brothers. Anybody the youngest in, in the house? Like, you're the young. He was the right. And so who did he look up to? He looked up to his oldest brother. Doesn't the criticism hurt when we get it from the people we look up to the most? Cuts deep. It cuts deep, and, and he received that here, and he walks up on the scene, and, and, uh, and, and I, there's a few things I, I want to pull out here because I think that we can learn a lot from how David navigated these inner giants, this giant of criticism that maybe it, it's just a verse, right? It's just a verse, but it's this whole story that we're living in, that we're dealing with, that some things have burrowed themselves in our heart and have kind of rooted themselves in a negative way, and so... Uh, David finds himself here, ready to take on this challenge, but criticized by his brother. And Eliab does three specific things. He says three specific things to him. First, he questions his motives. Did you notice that? What are you doing here? Why did you come down here? You ever had somebody question your motives? I, I, I feel like I've had that before, like where they thought it was one thing, and, and I, was, I didn't mean anything by that. And I think that's where it, this becomes really slippery is, when our, our mo- motives are, are, are being questioned. Because we know what's in, in our heart, but other people, uh, maybe, maybe they don't. He, he's having this question. Maybe somebody's questioned your motives too. Like you were just trying to be helpful, but then it came off of like your motives were to be bossy and take over. You know what I mean? Like so one of those type of things. And so much personality conflict and misunderstanding happens because of just a lack of communication and a lack of relationship there. But I think David was able to move on from this questioning of his motives, this criticism about his motives pretty quickly from this thought because he knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. And I, and I believe that we can move on pretty quickly too from criticism in which people question our motives. Not too quickly, but we can move on quickly. Because when someone questions it, you at least need to ask the question like, am I? You know? Because uh, Pastor Robert Morris says that, that every word in the scriptures that the word ambition is used, it's also accompanied by the word selfish, ambition. And so we are selfish by nature, and so we do need to uh, 
Check your heart. Guard your heart. What does what, John Chris say? Check your heart. You know what I mean? Check your heart. You, need, you do need to check your heart. And, and, and I think David was able to move on because he knew his purpose. He wasn't there to kind of, kind of ruffle his brother's feathers or to take over, to act like he was a know-it-all, or just to come down and be lazy and watch, which is brother, what his brother thinks. That's not why he came down there. He was there out of obedience. Like his dad told him to. He was actually very probably happy being away from the battle, caring for his sheep, serving his family in that way. And his dad says, hey, I need you to run food to the real soldiers, the big boys up on the front lines. I want you to, you know, sign up for Uber Eats and start running food to your brothers because they're going to get weak and they're going to get hungry. So he's, he's serving his family. He's serving Israel, the, the army of Israel. And so he went there out of obedience. And here's what I believe is that obedience actually births confidence. You got to be confident and when you know you're being obedient, when you know, I think we get in, more and more insecure, we get more and more flustered by criticism when we don't have a clear sense of the purpose. Why? I'm just following my dad's orders. Like, I'm just doing what God, like, there's criticism that happens to me, you know, pro- probably, honestly, just because of the public nature of it, probably a lot more than, than many folks. And, and so I, I have to, I have to, to deal with that and, I, and have to, it's, it's, it's impossible to not feel the pain of it. Okay, so as we talk about this, as we talk about criticism, I don't want to tell you, I don't want you to get this idea that you can't be human, that you can't feel, that you can't do that. But in this process, we can move on and we can turn away from these things and not let them bog us down. And I think there's this great confidence that do you know your purpose? David knew his purpose while he was there. He was there to serve. And when that's the case, I can, I can rest in who God's called me to be and walk that out. And I don't have to kind of get myself trouble with criticism from the outside. So I would just say to you, do you, do you know your purpose? Do you know why God has called you? One, to give glory to him and to live a life of worship for him. Do you know that you are called, you have a purpose to be salt and life, light in this earth? Do you, do you know that? And then beyond that, there are specific purposes that God is fulfilling in your life in this season that don't make sense to you, but you can have confidence because you're being obedient. Now, if you don't, you know, if you're disobedient, then there's, a, there's an insecurity, there's a, a paranoia that comes with that, and Saul's a better example for that. Second thing we see Eliab does is he minimizes his brother's responsibilities. Hey, who'd you leave those few sheep with? Not that whole field of sheep, just a, a few sheep. I doubt with eight brothers and a family that large, and his, his family, they were known, even from a small town, they were, they were well known, and so the fact that he had a few sheep, they, they had probably more than a few sheep. So he was minimizing his responsibility. He was devaluing what he was called to do. Have you, have you ever had someone minimize your responsibilities? Uh, when I first started in, in ministry, I, uh, I was working at, at a church, uh, an awesome church. But when we arrived there, there was a lot of uh, b- brokenness and a lot of healing that had to take place and a lot of spiritual maturity that was to come. And, uh, and there, there was just some people, you know, that would come along and I was hired on to be the worship and young adult pastor. And, and they would, I don't know if they were well-mean or if they even realized it, but they would minimize my responsibilities. They would constantly say things like, pastors don't do anything. Like, y'all just play golf all week. I'm like, I haven't played golf in like six months. I wish I, wish I played golf every every week. And they'd minimize responsibilities and like they would give me titles that weren't my title and maybe I was too title focused at the time. Um, but there was this undercutting that kind of hurt because they were minimizing my responsibilities. And 
Maybe somebody's done that in your life. They look down on your responsibility, and now, and now you actually minimize your own responsibility. You minimize your value. Um, I, I, I love um, this story of, of John F. Kennedy, and he's visiting one of the space centers before they put the man on the moon, if you believe that actually happened. I know, I know there's a lot of controversy on that. But um, sorry, I had to stir it up, right? I had to stir it up. Um, no, but he's, he's at the, this, uh, one of the space stations, and he's walking around doing the presidential visit, and, and someone, um, and he, he sees a janitor with a broom in his hand, and he comes up, and he asks him, he says, what do you do here, sir? And he says, the janitor says, I'm putting a man on the moon. I was like, what, what, a, what a picture. What a picture for this guy to see that what he does is not small. It is valuable. It is valuable to something bigger than himself. But how many times do we minimize what God's called us to do? The, the, the things that he's put in our hands that we're responsible for. So I don't know if that's just a few ministry responsibilities. I don't know if it's a, it's a less prominent role. Um, in ministry or at work, or, or maybe, you know, you'll, you'll have somebody come and say, well, well, you just have one kid, you wouldn't understand, you know, or you don't have kids. So they minimize the season you're in. They minimize what, what, what you have, and you begin to minimize it. You begin to minimize who you are in Christ, and I think David was able to move on because he knew his value. He, he didn't take a few sheep, even if it was, he didn't take it lightly, like he took it with honor and he was going to be faithful with a few things because what Jesus said is when we are faithful with a few, he'll give us much. He will trust us with much. And so here's my question to you. Can you be trusted with much? Can you be trusted with a little? Do you, do you see the value? And that's what David, see, David did. He knew his value. He knew his value. And so you've got to, got to know your, your value because here's what happens is our passion begins to come alive when we know our value. When someone doesn't see themselves as adding much value, they won't do a good job. When someone understands that they matter, that they are valuable, they're valuable to the kingdom of God, there's actually a passion for those few sheep that come up. Uh, I did a leadership teaching to our schedulers in the church, an unseen, less prominent role that I shared this week. And, and I said, hey, if you have ever uttered the words or muttered the words, I'm just a scheduler, like remove just from your vocabulary. Like some of you are, are I'm, I'm just a whatever, like fill in the, I'm just that remove just from your vocabulary because you're not just, it's valuable. If God's put you in that place, be faithful in it, see your value in it. And because there's a passion that comes with it. Like I, I'm going to give my very best to taking out the trash because there is value in it. We always say it around here, like prominence does not equal significance in the kingdom of God. It doesn't. Some of the hand, some of the heart. Like you ask me what's, like, so let's say this, like I'm some, I'm eyes, let's just say I'm eyes out here, like for our church. Like some of you are lungs beating in your prayer ministry. You, you're, you're lungs beating and serving behind the scenes to, to move this body. And though you're not seen, it is utterly significant to the body flourishing. And so I would just say, lean into that. Lean in and know your value in Christ. You know how on a computer, I don't know if you, any of you ever do this, you can minimize, like there's that little line, that little underscore, you can minimize windows. Is anybody in here like, I just minimize them until they can't minimize anymore? Or, and I think it used to be, I think phones have gotten a little more sophisticated, but it used to be when you had a bunch of apps open, 
it all got bogged down because you didn't delete anything. You didn't minimize um, anything. And, and here's the reality. I think a, a lot of you, you've been minimizing your value in Christ, and you've gotten really bogged down in it. It's gotten really heavy. Things are slowing down. Your passion for God has weaned because you've been minimizing that what you do doesn't matter, and it does. Your value matters to God. Don't let anybody else minimize that. The third thing his brother says to him is he criticizes his character. He, cri- he criticizes who he is. I know how conceited you are. You're wicked. You're just my little punk brother. Just constantly, just criticizing his character, and we see it revealed in this moment. Has anyone ever done that to you? They criticized who you were, the way you looked, or the way you talked, or the way you led, or the way you taught, or I don't know, you fill in the blank. Maybe you've done that. I think David was able to move on from this third piece of criticism, um, not because he knew his heart. He knew his heart. He, asked, he actually asked a question out loud and began to process this. Did you, did you see that in the text? He's like, what have I done? And that's actually where we need to start, is we actually do need to bring that before the Lord when criticism comes. Is this valuable? Like, is there any value to what they're saying? Because if it's a blind spot, if we really are conceited, then, well, we got to face the facts. I told this story a few months back, so forgive me if you've heard it, but um, when I was in middle school, um, I remember these girls coming to me and, and saying, Kyle, you're so conceited. And I was like, Gee, I don't know what you're talking about because literally I didn't know what that word meant at the time. And I couldn't Google it. I couldn't turn and Google it. And so, um, but later on, like as the years were going on, I was like, they were, they were speaking the truth. You know, I was a conceited little punk. I was obsessed with uh, myself and my image and, you know, selfish in so, in so many ways. And so they were, they, were, they were spot on. And so we've got to ask this question, what have I done? We've, we've got, we don't have to give it merit, but we've got to give it consideration for a moment, even if it's just a thought, even if it's just a question, is there any value to that? And the problem is that some of us, we give things merit that just need consideration. You know what I mean? It just needs, just needs a thought, it just needs a pass. But I think David had spent enough time up under the trees with the Lord, and he had a pure heart before the Lord. He knew he was walking out the purpose. He knew he had value, and, and he knew his heart. He knew his heart. And so maybe you haven't had time in your life where you said, Hey, God, search me and know my heart. See if there's any wickedness. See if there's anything in me that needs to be removed or revealed and lead me in the path of your everlasting. That's, that was one of David's psalms there, just in, in Kyle translation. But here's what I, I want you to know. David, David knew his heart, and you got to know your heart too because we have a choice with criticism. It's either going to refine the purity of your heart or it's going to corrupt the purity of your heart. And you got a choice. Every time it comes, when somebody says, what am I going to do with it? You know, and, and, if, and I think if you know the end game, like if I allow this to stay in there, it's going to burrow, it's going to corrupt the purity of my heart. Don't allow it to happen. Guard your heart, as it said uh, in, in another place. David said, another place, guard your heart. For everything else flows from it. Jesus affirmed it in, in the New Testament. So know your heart. This criticism, it's a, big, it's a big deal. It can send you in one way or another to the purity of your heart. And I've seen so many times that criticism, which is painful, actually becomes a pruner in the Lord's hand. That which was meant for evil, God turns for good. He works out all things to the good of those who love him. And if you love him and it comes to you, just know it's going to refine your heart or God, and God's going to prune your heart if it's true. Okay, so you can receive it in stride. And then what did David do? 
He turned away. He asked somebody else real quick, and he, he moved on. Come on, thank God for just moving on. Some of us, we, we've got some criticism that happened when we were nine years old or 12 years old or last week, and we, we've been thinking about it and lost sleep because of that one criticism from that one person. Maybe it was somebody you loved. Maybe it was somebody you looked up to. Maybe it's your own spouse. I, I, I don't know. But that criticism is buried its way in its heart, and it's corrupting. And we need to do what David did and say, bye, Felicia. Like, just moving on. Like, we're just moving on with life. And so we, we, we move on. So some of you that have been around, I've done a little bit of teaching on the word anointing. And I think of all those three things. All those things are three important things that happened in David's life. And he did know his purpose. He did know his value. And he did know his own heart before the Lord. Um, but I think more than that, I think what allowed him to move on was that he was anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The, the, really what it means to anoint, it means to rub oil or to pour oil on someone, but it also became uh, something that was used for kings and for temples and palaces and for um, and churches now. High priest would be anointed. They'd pour oil over his head. It was used in everyday life in a lot of different facets for medicinal purposes. To uh, When they were signing a covenant or a contract, they would affirm that contract with an anointing of oil. When a slave would be released, they would, they would sign that in, in oil. So there's this deep history of it. Um, but we see that David is a shepherd and, and Samuel, the prophet, comes in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and he's looking from all these people who look the part, who look qualified, all his eldest brothers, and David is still in the field. And so for those of you that think you've got to be in the right place at the right time to receive God's anointing, that's, un, that's false, because David was in the field. It doesn't matter where you're at. If God calls you and he anoints you for it, he's going to take you. He's going, to, he's going to provide for you. And so it was consecrated. It was set aside as sacred. And the Old Testament prophets referred to Jesus as the anointed one. The New Testament, we see that affirmed. And in the New Testament, we also see that every single believer is anointed. Look, look at these passages in 1 John and, and 2 Corinthians. Uh, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. You know the truth of who you are. You, you, know the, you know your heart. You know your purpose because you know who you are in Christ. Now he who establishes us with Christ, uh, with you in Christ, has anointed us. It's God. Who has, also, uh, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There is anointing on every believer. There's an anointing on every uh, believer but even before all that, do you know where the history and where this all began, this, this idea of anointing, it, it actually began where, where David had just come from. It, it began in the field of a shepherd with his sheep, and he would take oil and he would pour it over the wool on the coat of his sheep, and it would just cover and create this slimy, slippery wool over his sheep so that no tick no mite, no insect could burrow itself in its, in its coat of wool and begin to spread throughout its, its coat. And, and here's what I know is there's been a lot of insects. There's been a lot of criticism that's burrowed itself in the coat of God's people. And I think it's because we don't know whose we are. We, we don't remember that we've been set aside for sacred purposes. I don't need affirmation from my eldest brother. I don't need affirmation from anyone else. I, have, I know who I am in Christ. 
I know whose I am. I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter of God, and, and that's enough for me. When I, when I was a, a young man, I, I remember um, uh, getting a tick. Anybody ever gotten a tick? It's kind of a dangerous thing, particularly when you get it at the base of your skull. Mine has actually turned into a small mole at the at kind of just the, my brainstem right here. And so for those of you that don't know, I'm pretty sure like, you can die from getting a tick that enters into your brain. And so I did this, and I went home, and thank God, obviously I'm still here. My mom uh, noticed something, me scratching or something. I don't even remember the story. I'll have to, I'm sure I'll talk about it this week with her and figure out what that was. But, um, and then she took me next door to a nurse who extracted, cut away in my flesh there and cut this tick out of my skull, or, or I would have been dead pretty soon. And I just, I, I know across this room, there's some things that have burrowed themselves down in your skull, that have burrowed themselves down in your wool, and it's, and, it's, and it's corrupted, and it's corrupted, and it's moved from one place to the next, that criticism. Look, you can feel it, but if you know your purpose, and if you know your value, and, you, and, and you've got this passion that's burning within you, and, and you know whose you are, you don't have to live in that. You can let it slide off. You can move right on like David did and fight the real giant out there and not get into these petty battles with these insects and mites that just want to slow us down. David had already received the affirmation he needed. He knew why he was there, and he was, and he was walking in what God had called him to do. But so many times we get bogged down by needing the affirmation of everybody else. So it cuts deep. And look, we need affirmation. But more than we need the affirmation of man, we need the affirmation of God and to know who we are in Christ. This past Sunday night leading into to Monday, I was, um, uh, this week I've gotten terrible sleep. It's just been awful. And so, um, and that happens from time to time. But I remember in, in this, uh, I woke up, like right before I woke up, I had a dream. And this dream was, uh, there, I was here in the building right here. I think I was doing something in here. I don't even remember. And there was one or two people here doing some other work. And the doors were locked. And uh, they came to me and said, hey, someone's at the door. Do you want me to let them in? And, uh, and I go there. And, um, and they, they actually, they told me, they communicated to me, uh, it's Andy Stanley. Do you, if you don't know who Andy Stanley is, he's a, he's a pastor of North Point Community Church. Awesome pastor. Does awesome. The son of Charles Stanley. And uh, since I was a young man, he, he was really just a, a pastor I admired. Like I, I thought he was his awesome. His communication style was so relatable. And, and um, you know, he was the son of a pastor and I was a pastor's kid. I just I kind of found, found some connection there. And, and so as I realized he was here, I kind of got excited and I ran. I was like, you serious? Like what's he doing here? And, and I went and I, I let him in the door in, in my dream and and I just began to tell him. I just wanted to tell him about everything. I wanted to tell him, like, here's what God's doing. Here's, like, this miracle that happened the other day. This is the awesome ministry that's taking place. Like, just, like, begging, like, for affirmation from this guy I've looked up to. And, uh, and I woke up, and, and God was just like, you don't need the affirmation of any man in your life. You just, you be faithful. You just be faithful. And, and I know some of us, like, that maybe that dream was to me and just for me this week, but... But I think there's some of you, you can receive that for you. Like, I don't know who would be at that door that you've been wanting their affirmation your whole life from your grandfather, your father, your, your, your older sister, who that person is, or your pastor growing up. I don't know, but you don't need it. If, it. if it never comes, if it never comes, know whose you are. 
And it's enough. David moved on and he was ready to fight the giant because he found out who he was. And he could live in that. And you can too. I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray over you. And look, I I get this criticism thing because I've lived through a lot of it. I didn't even tell you the bloody stories today. Uh, But I've lived through a a lot of it. And um, I've seen how it burrowed its way into my wool and my wool was not shiny anymore. There's been many times I didn't have a very slippery coat. I was offended by everything. And it all comes back down to I didn't know who I was in Christ. And so if you you don't have a relationship with Jesus, like a genuine, like covenant relationship, he called you and you know he he has pulled you out of the miry clay, it's as easy as, as admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Say, I believe, and confessing from your mouth that I believe that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was rose again on the third day for the redemption, for the payment of my sins. And you can know eternal life, and you can know healing. You can know relationship with God Almighty. So many of us in this room, you've, you've, you've accepted the Lord as your Savior, and you've affirmed that. Um, but maybe today, you, you just need to let God in and, and dig that out. Dig that out of your wool. Dig it out of your skull. And just receive who you are in Christ all over again. Let it be affirmed that I know who I am in Christ. And I can walk into a room with more passion and more confidence and more weight to what God has called me to in the season I'm in than I've ever had before. And I can slay whatever giant's standing before me. I want to ask you to bow your head. Every eye closed. And if that's you, even if you're listening online, watching online, if that's you today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, now's your moment. I don't have fancy words for you. It's just an invitation that says if you, if you want to know Jesus, admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and begin to walk with him in relationship. And he's going to show you blind spots and he's going to guide you and he's going to disciple you, but he's going to do it all in love. He's going to do it all in love. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and like, I I want a relationship. I want a real relationship, not some religious mumbo-jumbo. I want the real thing. If that's you with every eye closed, will you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I I want a real relationship. Is that you here today? If you're in this room and you say, hey, I've battled some criticism in my life, and I've, I've gone through it, and and I feel like there's been some things that have rooted themselves in my wool. They've been rooting themselves in my heart and mind. If that's you today and say, I need God to touch and reaffirm this in my life, will you just raise your hand with me? I closed. Just raise your hand if that's you. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for how you're speaking to hearts right now. This band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a song. And, and there, there's going to be uh, our prayer team up here at the front to pray with you. If Hey, you just say, I want God to anoint me, to cover me in his presence this morning, to set me aside a sacred purpose that I can move on from whatever it is you're battling today. Come and pray with this team. There is faith in the house and ministry. This, this is a response time for you to respond to what God's doing. And so the, the, these altars are open. These crosses are open for private prayer if you'd like to pray in this time. Ben, would you guys lead us and take us in?